Well, good morning. Will you pray with me? Holy Father in heaven, we come before you today on this day that you have given us. Help us, please, to rejoice and to be glad in it. We thank you, Lord, for assembling us as your church and for bringing us here to give you worship. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us to do that by teaching us your word. We ask that you impress it upon our lives and that you change us with it and that you help us to to live according to it. And we ask also that you would heal our pastor and restore him uh, to the same status, if not greater, than before. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be covering an Old Testament narrative that probably every one of you are familiar with. We're going to be reading the story of Cain and Abel. You can find this in Genesis chapter 4. So if you feel like it, you can open up your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 4. But before we can jump into our text, we actually have to cover some background so as to keep this passage in its context. Because this narrative actually has quite a bit to say to the church today, so long as we are careful to draw out what is actually there. So let us actually begin with a review of Genesis 1 through 3 leading up to our text. Here it is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He brought all things to completion, and he made all things good. Then he created mankind in his image. And we were created in the image of God, not just to reflect God in the created world, but also so that we may know him and participate in him. After all of creation was Finished, God then entered into the world to be worshipped perpetually, but man rebelled against him. And if you recall, this rebellion began with a mishandling of God's word. As Eve questioned it and doubted it and ultimately misinterpreted it, leading to the disobedience of both Adam and Eve resulting in their spiritual death, right then and there, just as they were promised. And that is because at this point, they now failed to participate in God, who is the source of life. After Genesis 3 explains the um, effects of the fall as such, we get to see how they go on to begin to die physically, and they developed a fallen worldview paradigm. And this fallen worldview paradigm was a lens through which they saw the world, and every one of us that comes from Adam and Eve also sees the world. And we see in Genesis 3 that it's made up of three parts. First, we see shame as they recognized their nakedness and tried to cover it up with fig leaves. Then we saw uh, fear as they hid from God in the garden as God came calling. And last, we saw guilt as they blamed other than themselves for their sin. After this, God pronounced judgment, starting with condemnation to the serpent, and then a promise to humanity. 
And we see this in Genesis 3.15 where it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring or seed and her offspring or seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Since the beginning, all hope has been hinged on the person and work of the seed of the woman. Yet we must stop here and ask ourselves, how is it possible that our God, who is holy and just and righteous, did not consume and condemn mankind right then and there? And the answer is to be found in the clothing in which God provided for them. Because in God's grace and in his mercy, he provided for us animal sacrifices as a temporary, imperfect means of atonement. And then he used these sacrifices to cover their sins as he covered their bodies with the skins. Then God turned to Eve and explained to her that her pain would be realized through her children and that Adam would have to work the ground unto death. Genesis 3 then closed with God banishing them from the garden and Adam and Eve starting a life in exile. Our text today is going to show us how to live in contrast to how not to live in exile while we await the consummation of our covenant with Christ. Today's message is titled, How to Live by the Word of God. And we are now ready to jump into our text. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Otherwise, the text should be coming up on the screen. Let us begin with the first two verses. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. The first thing we see here is Adam knew Eve, his wife. As God has created man and woman in complementary ways so that when we come together, we complete each other. As marriage is God's idea, and it's between one man and one woman. And we can see here the word new is actually a type of intimate knowledge that is used to describe the intimate relations between husband and wife, resulting in her conceiving a son. And we can see how she named him Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. When we read this in light of Genesis chapter 3, we come to see that Eve is up to her old schemes here, as she has once again mishandled the word of God, as she has misinterpreted Genesis 3.15 to mean that her son would be the savior of humanity. The name Cain literally means I have gotten or I have received. And so here she is basically saying, thank you, Lord, because I have received the one you have promised. Yet watch how that affects what happens next, because it goes on to say that again she bore his brother Abel. 
Notice how Abel is simply listed as the brother of Cain, as he is forced to live in his shadow. To take this even farther, the name Abel is a translation of a Hebrew word that is translated in the book of Ecclesiastes as vanity, as it literally means a vapor, a breath, nothing, as Abel would have been seen as an add-on, an extra, potentially even a burden, a responsibility that was not asked for. And if you can, just for a moment, stop and consider how this would have affected the psychology of these children growing up. Because Cain would have been raised and praised to be filled with pride. While Abel, living in his shadow, would have been humiliated. And only by the grace of God would he have grown in humility. And we can see how this plays out as it says that Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Abel was capable of tending to something outside of himself. He had mercy and compassion and grace. He was a shepherd, a keeper, a protector of sheep. He was a man of character. Yet Cain was a worker of the ground. And if you remember in Genesis 3, the uh, judgment to Adam was that he would have to work the ground. So this is telling us that not only is he not the promised seed of the woman, but he is a son of Adam. And just like Adam, he is of a sinful nature, prone to radical autonomy, doing things his own way apart from God, and he is seeking his own judgment in the same way. And what this is telling us is that we must properly handle the word of God. In Genesis, because, at least to some degree, the way they turned out would have been due to the environment in which they grew up, and it was a result of the mishandling of God's word. So in Genesis chapter 3, we see how the mishandling of God's word led to the fall. And now in Genesis chapter 4, we see how the mishandling of God's word leads to all kinds of problems. We must properly handle the word of God. And that first and foremost begins with us approaching God's word for what it is. It is God's word. It is not the word of man about God. It is the word of God to man. And as such, it is inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient. We must approach the word of God with reverence, understanding that it has authority over top of our lives. And then we must take pains to properly interpret the word of God. Because it's not until we properly interpret God's word that we are able to understand it. And it's not until we understand God's word that we are able to apply it to our lives. And so if you find yourself today saying to yourself, well, I'm not quite sure how to go about interpreting God's word, please do not hesitate to come to Pastor Phil or myself and tell us that you would like to learn how to interpret God's word because it is this right here that is the first step of living a life that gives glory to God while we benefit from it. So we must properly handle the word of God. 
as we move on with our text, it goes on to tell us, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. This portion of our text is all about worship. And it should cause us to ask at least two questions. First, how did they know that they were supposed to offer sacrifices? And second, why was Cain's rejected but Abel's accepted? If we go into the book of Hebrews, we come to find that Abel's sacrifice was done in faith. By faith, Abel was, to do, was able to do things God's way rather than man's way. And if you remember in Genesis chapter 3, God had already set the standard by doing an animal sacrifice to temporarily forgive the sins of his parents when, they when God clothed them with the skins. And so he knew he was supposed to be doing sacrifices. And even though this was thousands of years before Moses, and it was through Moses that we received the Mosaic Law, and it was in the Mosaic Law that we find out that we're supposed to bring, or we were supposed to bring, the firstborn in the fat portions, what we're seeing here is what we see in Romans chapter 2. Verses 13 through 15 says this, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles do not have the law, but by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness in their conflicting thoughts, accuse or even excuse them. Ever since the beginning, God's law has been written on the hearts of man. And it is sin that clouds our judgment. It is sin that causes us to fail to see the way. It is sin that causes us to go astray and do things in our own way. And what we are seeing here is that we must worship God according to his word. Because God is particular. We cannot go to God any which way we choose. Ever since the time of the Reformation, in both Protestant and evangelical churches, we have had an age-old debate between two principles of worship in the church. One of them is called the regulative principle of worship. The other one is called the normative principle of worship. The normative principle of worship says, if the Bible doesn't tell me not to do it, it's acceptable. The regulative principle of worship says... If the Bible doesn't say to do it, it's not acceptable. And when we read passages such as this one that we're in, 
Or when we go into ones like Leviticus chapter 10, where we see the sons of Aaron that were priests, Nadab and Abihu, how they were commanded by God to offer a specific incense on the altar unto the Lord, yet they came in with their own and offered it, only to find out that it displeased God. So he sent out a fire to consume them, and this was so serious that Aaron was told that he wasn't even allowed to grieve his sons. God is to be worshipped only in the way in which he is revealed. He has revealed himself in his word, and he has laid out for us how we are to live our lives. He has laid out for us who he is, who we are, what we're to do, including the way we worship. The way is narrow. It is not broad. We are not called to do things any which way we choose. We are called to do things, including worship, According to the word. As we move on with our text, it goes on to tell us that the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain here is being urged by God to recalibrate, to realign his life, to turn back and to do things in God's ways rather than man's ways. And we see here also that at the root of all of our rebellion, at the root of all of our radical autonomy, wanting to do things our own way apart from God, all of our going astray, at the root is sin. And sin is contrary to us. It will consume us if we do not do something. Yet God in his mercy and his grace has given us the means to rule over it so that it doesn't rule over us. And that way is to trust in God alone. When you look to God and you trust in Christ for your salvation, that is because you have received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is who empowers us to say no to those things that are unrighteous and to say yes to those things that are. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers us to rule over the sin. And we are being told here to repent according to the word. In our contemporary culture here, repentance tends to be either understated or misunderstood. And so if we're going to repent according to the word, we first and foremost need to know what biblical repentance is. And I'm just going to flat out tell you that it is not leaving off your sin and then turning to God as you may have heard. Rather, biblical repentance is what the Bible actually teaches. And if we look in passages such as Isaiah chapter 6, we get to see it. When Isaiah came into the presence of the Lord and the angels were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. He came to see God in all of his majesty, all of his glory, all of his splendor. And it's in that presence that he came to recognize how small 
law and how filthy and how sinful he is. And it is only when we look to God that we come to recognize how sinful we are and the things that we do are. And it is only when we look to God that he then empowers us to forsake that sin that has so beseeched us so that we may pursue him while he pursues us. We are to repent according to the word. And today, you are being urged to forsake your pet sin. It doesn't matter if it's pornography or gossip or whatever it is. Forsake your sin by looking to God. As we go on with our text, it tells us that Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Notice the contrast between Cain and Abel here. Abel was a keeper of sheep, yet Cain was not even a keeper of his brother. One lived by faith and the other lived for himself. Some of you may be looking at that very first sentence and saying to yourself, well, that seems to be kind of an incomplete thought. What exactly is meant by Cain spoke to Abel, his brother? To be honest, scholars are not 100% sure. But we can go one of two ways here. Either Cain looked to settle his dispute with Abel verbally first, only to find out that he wasn't able to, and so then he resorted to violence, or he invited Abel out with the intention of killing him. Either way, what we are seeing here is that when we do not repent of our sin, when we do not get it in check, it checks us. And when it grows and matures, it ends in death. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Death is a consequence of sin. Death is caused by sin because God is the source of life. And when we sin, we do not participate in the source of life. So in and of our own volition, we seek our own death. We are being told here to take responsibility for our lives according to the word. And a really good example here is actually King David. Because if you remember King David, when he was struggling over his sin with Bathsheba... God inspired him to write this psalm. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Have you ever stopped to ask, why did he say against you, you only have I sinned? I mean, here's David committing adultery with his friend and fellow soldier's wife and gets her pregnant. Then he lies and deceives, trying to cover it up, only to find out that that's not going to work. So he promotes the murder of his friend on the battlefield so that he could take his wife. Yet here what we are seeing is something really interesting. Because this took place in Israel. And over in the Near East there, they have a shame and honor culture. And in that culture, all that mattered was that he married Bathsheba and committed to raising her son. By doing so, according to the culture, he had done no wrong. And so we are seeing here that even though the whole world may say that he hasn't sinned, he recognized, no, according to God, he was wretched. He was a sinner. He had done so much dirt that he came to recognize that not only is he born in sin, but he is sinful from the moment of conception, just like all of us are. And so we are being told here that no matter what society says, no matter what the world tells you, while the world may say that it's okay to do this or to do that or to be racist or to be woke or to be homosexual or to be a drug user or whatever the world may say is okay to do it doesn't matter all that matters is God and what God has to say in his word and in his word we see his law and his law is a reflection of him himself because he is the standard we cannot live any way we want we live in the way that God wants so that we can come before him and live with him forever yet that doesn't happen if we don't take responsibility for our lives according to the word and this means that you need to be reading the Bible you need to be reading the Bible and you need to be considering the way you live according to the world I mean according to the word not the culture. As we go on with our text, it goes on to tell us that, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth and received your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. 
I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. We see how Cain's sin has went so far beyond that of his parents, Adam and Eve, that he has now murdered a man made in the image of God. And because man is made in the image of God, we need to understand that that's where our value comes from. Your worth, your dignity, your value. It is not to be found in who you are or what you do. It is to be found in who God is. And because of that, God loves humanity. And we are seeing here how he is being cursed from the ground. So Cain was a farmer. All he knew was how to tend to the ground. And he is being cast out because of his sin. And normally he would have been able to provide for himself. But now that the ground will not yield to him, he is being, he is being basically sentenced to be a beggar, to be a vanguard, to be a bum. And if we pay attention while we read Genesis 4, we'll see how it all parallels Genesis 3. We see the mishandling of God's word, which, which results in disobedience. We see the judgment, and then right here we see the bubbling to the surface, the fallen worldview paradigm. Pay close attention to verses 13 and 14. It says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Here we can see his guilt. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. Here we can see his shame. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Here we can see his fear. Yet we need to understand that if you trust in God alone and you look to Jesus Christ for your Savior, you do not need to live like the rest of the world. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus took our guilt to the cross and died for it. And through our faith, he gives us his righteousness. The Bible also goes on to tell us that we are honored up and above anything that anybody could have ever asked for. Because in our union with Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God and made co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God and the new heavens and the new earth. We have been honored up and above anything that we could have asked for. There is no greater honor than that. And we do not have to live in fear because perfect love, and what is love? Love is that Christ died for us while we were still in sin. Perfect love cast out all fear. We do not need to fear death. We do not need to fear Satan. We do not need to fear sin. And we do not need to fear the judgment of God. Because in Jesus Christ, he is the solution to all of the world's problems, including our worldview. And we are being told here today to align your worldview with the word. The Bible clearly tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It also tells us that we have already passed through 
judgment, in our union with him. It goes on to tell us that we are honored before God as if we are Christ in our union with him. And we are also never to live in fear because Christ has conquered everything and given us the means to conquer all in the Holy Spirit. As we conclude our text, it goes on to tell us that then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who finds him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Paralleling Genesis 3, we see once again, just like Genesis 3.15, we saw a promise of preservation to humanity. We are seeing in 4.15 here another promise of preservation to humanity. In fact, it's only a few chapters from here that we get to see the, the covenant of preservation with Noah. Understand that because we are made in the image of God, God does not want to destroy humanity. God does not want to destroy us because our value is found in him. Rather, we destroy ourselves. We destroy ourselves in our sin and our rebellion. We destroy ourselves in wanting to do things our own way apart from God. We destroy ourselves and run as fast and as hard as we can into hell by denying Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Yet we are being seen here that God loves humanity, and we are also being told to abide with God through his word. Here we can see that Cain, in his rebellion and in his sin, is casting himself out and going farther and farther away from the blessings of God. Anytime we read in the Bible, we see somebody going east or somebody coming from the east. It is a sign of those outside the will of God. It is talking about the enemies of God. And so as an enemy of God, Cain is running farther and farther away, yet we are to abide. We want to run to God. And the whole reason why we're looking at living by the word of God, we live by the word of God so that we may abide with God through his word. And what does that look like? Well, first and foremost, it means we must properly handle the word of God. We must approach the word of God with reverence and understand that it has authority over our lives. And we need to read the word and observe. We need to learn how to interpret the word and apply it to our lives. We must also worship God according to the word. God does not need anything from any of you. He wants what he wants, and that's all we're to do. We're to live by his word, and we are to worship according to the word. We are to repent according to the word by looking unto God and recognizing our sin and asking him for help and abandoning that sin so that we can live with him. We also are told to take responsibility according to the word, which means you must be reading the Bible and weighing your life against what you see in the word, not what you see in the world. Lastly, we must also align our worldview with the word. The word of God tells us that the problem with humanity is sin. And the word of God tells us that the only solution for sin is Jesus Christ 
as Lord and Savior. And so when we look unto Christ for salvation, we come to find that we don't have to live in guilt or shame or fear, but that the gospel is all-encompassing. And Christ did not just free us of our debt, but he fulfills us. And so we must align our worldview with the word. And you are being encouraged today to live your life by the word. Don't give in to the cultural drift. Don't give in to the ways of the world. But read the word, live by it, so you can abide with God through it. Let's pray. Holy Father, today is a day here in the West where people tend to reflect on earthly fathers. And while we thank you for the blessing that you have given us in reflecting you through our fatherhood, and we do pray for all those who are fathers to raise up their children in the way they should go, we look to you knowing that you are our heavenly Father. And you deserve all worship. You deserve all honor. And you are the one to be blessed. So we ask that you help us to do that by living by your word. Help us to abide with you through your word by properly handling it and repenting according to it and weighing the way we live by it. And help us to do this in the power of your Holy Spirit. Let it be your might and your zeal, your spirit and your power, not us. Don't allow us to try to do things ourselves. But please, show us your glory by changing us through your word. We continue to pray for our pastor. We ask for his healing and restoration. And we ask that as we go out from here, that we live a life that shines the light of glory unto you. We ask this in the name.